We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can it really help me fall asleep faster? Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our President's Day weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing and free premium delivery when you add a base. Ends Monday. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. In an effort to derail this podcast from being able to focus on the soporific draw against Crystal Palace, Arsenal have hired Dick Garlic. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Black Man Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look. I consider myself professional, even if I'm not, and not considered that by anyone else. But I don't know how I'm expected to be professional, how I'm expected to do my job and focus on the football and not immediately launch into a Manscaped advertisement, allow me to add, when Arsenal have hired Dick Garlic. They have. I think it's fair to say that the penis vampires will not be around anymore. That's for sure. If that makes any sense, if you're following me there. Uh, This is off to a flyer, much like the football. So uh, I am swiftly going to move away from Dick Garlic um, because I I am concerned that uh, this kind of silliness could leak into the rest of the podcast. Oh, boy. Is that bad? Well, I don't know. Why don't I just introduce someone who knows his onions? That would be Tim. You can find him on Twitter. Stoberto. Hello, Tim. (laughs) Hello. hello. I'm really, really sorry. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at ClivePFC. Hello, Clive. Clive, um, have you consumed any beverages or uh, eaten any food in the last day or two? No. No. Okay. I don't Uh, don't drink. I just read about football. 
That's yes. all I do. Yes, you are uh, a learning computer. Um, and then, uh, Tim, have you engaged in any social activities or uh, banterous interactions with other human beings that you'd wish to share at this time? Uh, other than my five-month-old daughter, no. Okay. I, too, have nothing to add on the human front. So with that out of the way, banter complete. Check. Uh, anybody want to make a dick garlic joke before we move on from that? Nope. Okay, good. Nope, nope, nope we're good. I will say, uh, does seem, just real quick, Tim, because uh, I do think it is important we have hired someone. Uh, Richard, Sir Richard, we'll call him, uh, looks like a Husfami replacement, right? Not so much a guy to help Adu with recruitment, analytics, that kind of stuff. More of a uh, get the contracts done guy, hired away from the Premier League, former attorney, seems to be our new uh, contracts guru, correct? Yes, correct. And um, and and I, I think that does make some sense. As much as I think we'd all like, um, or would all, you know, like we've spoken about it, haven't we? Like a a data hire to really help with the kind of the identifying of talent. I think. Um, and, and I do think we could do with a higher there. Um, although, to be fair, I, th I think um, I think I read someone on the Discord saying that Ed, like Edu now has to prove that some of the shit that happened last summer was nothing to do with him and all to do with Raoul. Um, that that's effectively his job at the moment to win. <laughs> to win people over to Hearts be able and to minds. say yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly like all of that bad shit that happened was nothing to do with me and now Raoul's gone the problem has gone um and yeah i you know i still have some doubts over that but um we will see in the fullness of time but nevertheless we d we did still need someone to do what husfami used to do and when you think about you know for example not getting the paperwork completed for william saliba on time you know that's like like your data hire wouldn't do that no of course <laughs> that's not. that's a contracts guy and and this isn't like an an area that that edu ha i think has an awful lot of experience in kind of contracts and contract negotiations so it, it makes sense to bring um an individual to do what husfami did um w whether we need more i'd i'd say yes doesn't maybe doesn't necessarily have to be like an absolute head honcho but some more, I guess, some more technical expertise would be welcomed. But I, I think what what Arsenal have done really with this hire is said that like, look, Arteta and Edu are our guys, and you know Arteta spoke about um, Dick Garlic, uh, penis vampire, <laughs> <laughs> and but but he, you know, I don't know if you saw, but he really used the words like we identified this as the best hire like he he mm. said quite clearly that he had um you know he had a say in this appointment um and 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 like you and you can look at that a number of ways as well can't you because on one hand it kind of calls to mind Arsene Wenger helping to hire Ivan Gazidis his own boss albeit I don't really believe that I always think Gazidis was the Cronkies guy um and so on one hand you sh you can kind of say should the manager really be involved in that but on the other hand um i think with any backroom hire with it, like directors of football technical directors etc 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 the most important thing is the chemistry because no one you know no one person um we're tempted to think of people as gurus in particular areas and then you see them move clubs and they don't they don't repeat the magic look at monchi Monchi as a god at Sevilla um, was shit at Roma and and like Steve Walsh did brilliant work at Leicester went to Everton was sacked 
um, for loads of bad signings. And so uh, what what's really important is that the three, four, five people, you know, who make up your executive structure mesh really well together and mm-hmm. have like a real... Um, it, it's a bit like a team, right? You need like a, a cross-section of attributes working together. So, you know, in that respect, we can't... Because we can look at like Richard Garlick's um, kind of CV and say, yeah, okay, you know, he's like a Premier League club like West Brom, you know, not amazingly successful, but pretty well run, pretty pragmatically run in the way that they became that kind of yo-yo club, but never, never like tossed their shirt onto the poker table. They were, you could say that they were pragmatically run. And then, you know, with the Premier League and and Project Restart, which I think you have to say was a, a, a big success. Um, and something a lot of people doubted could be pulled off. So, but but ultimately, it's not that the CV doesn't matter. What matters is that these individuals have a chemistry and mesh together. And and you know we've we but we've seen it before, right? On pa- on paper, Raúl and Sven, um, with Ivan and above them, like on paper, you'd say that that's a really good mesh of qualities. But the personalities didn't match, and there was some power play going on. So obviously, we'll we'll just have to see um, what happens and whether that materialises. But um, yeah, it it seems. A sensible appointment to me i just i just i guess i kind of hope that that's not it yeah yeah i mean i think the one thing we would say is that if dick garlic is the only hire that stinks no hey. <laughs> nothing nothing i got there in the end <laughs> well uh, i'm not not touching that uh clive I, you know i think one of the interesting things here to to tim's point about the hiring of this guy and, and arteta's comments it really makes me feel very strongly that Arteta and Edu are contemporaries, that they are, you know, in the org chart, they are the same level, uh, that Edu is not Arteta's boss. And I have a slight worry about this, and I'll just explain this super quickly. I think when you have a situation, coaches need to win right now. They can't afford to say, we'll be good in three seasons. The person building the squad may have to forego a right now solution because he thinks we can't be good for three seasons. And it is a really big tension between a director of football and a coach. A coach may say, no, no, get me this player. He can help me right now. And the director of football may have to say, well, he's 29 and he's really expensive. And this 22-year-old might not help us as much right now, but he's got huge upside and I think he helps our project. Those needs are at odds. The problem is when the director of football or you know president of football, whatever you want to call it, and the coach are tied together at the same level of the org chart and likely have their job stability tied together, then they both are going to be inclined to make the short win-now move. I mean, Tim said it. Adu now has to prove that he's not Raul. He needs wins, <clears throat> so to speak, not just on the pitch but in the market right now. And that's a guy who's prone to doing something with a really short-term time horizon. And I'm just worried. I mean, Dick Garlic is fine. You know, I, I mean, it, that's great, but... I, you know, he's he's not Ralph Ragnick. You know what I mean? And, and so the question is, is maybe the hire we need, not someone to work with Adu, not someone to work with Arteta, but potentially to be over both of them. And you could say that's Vinay, but, you know, I don't think he knows anything about football. Where do you fall on, on the importance of uh, Mr. Garlic's arrival and um, what that leaves to be done in terms of making this structure more purpose-built for a, a long-term rebuild? Yeah, the important thing is is how people work together. Simple as that, and how good they are, what their qualities are. 
And, you know, from the outside world, what do Arsenal stand for? We have a project and we're people don't like that. Really. You know, when I say that, some, I can hear some people rolling their eyes. They only care about Newcastle on Monday, right? But we have to accept whether you like it or not, we're in a project. Yeah, fans have right? the right and to only care about two... Newcastle, by the way. It's not our job to build the project. <laughs> no, I, I'm just saying to you how people yeah. react to yeah, that, what I just said, I right? Yeah. So some people care about the last game and care very much about the next game, and that's their right, right? So it seems as though Arsenal are undertaking a project, right? They're in the early stages of a project, three to five year plan. You've got two young people running the football side. They've got a guy in VNI running the numbers side, the business side, and now they've got somebody who's coming in on the sports lawyer side, on the contract side, to help them with their you know, governance and governing bodies across Europe, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a requirement. So that's the four legs to the chair, right? So if everyone's all aligned and they've all got common goals, then it's all good. If they're not aligned, that's where you get the problems. And so the mesh statement is an absolutely correct one. Now, my only worry is, you know, who would fire Mikel? Would that be Vinay? And if they fire Mikel, would Eddie have to go? Is it a true partnership? And they seem to be working as a true partnership. Now, if we lose those two, do we lose the whole model? All legs to the chair don't seem enough to me. We need a five-leg chair, and I agree with you 100%. There'd be somebody else. Because what I care about more than anything is the sustainability of Arsenal Football Club. I don't want it wrapped up in in individuals too much. There must be a situation where if things go wrong, which we felt very similar before Christmas, things could go wrong, what's the next step? How do we sustain something, a level of continuity? And that's my worry, that we're so much in bed with Mikel whether you like them or not, it doesn't really matter. I don't really care about the individual. I care about the organizational structure and its effectiveness. Yeah. And that leaves us with a problem. And so if Arsenal are all on board, and whatever he does, he can't fail, and he will not get fired based on the criteria that we set him. If he doesn't meet certain targets we're not aware of, then he's obviously under pressure. But in the near term, we've got work to do, which doesn't really make me think he's under any pressure and that was proven before Christmas but next season now when there's money coming in clear revenues he's got even more of a chance with his own squad I think the bar will rise right and they'll have to reach those targets so it's about us accepting me really that we're in this project you're absolutely right to have those fears and worries that tells me that you're you, you query the project you're actually saying that maybe they're not got common commonalities and that could happen over time you know, it could be more pressure coming to Arteta. He may say, I want this player. And Eddie may disagree. And that's the friction that happens at work. So the key line that Tim said there about the meshing is the key line. As long as they all know what they're trying to achieve and they're doing their best to achieve it. And that's transparent to us as a fan group. I'm on board with it. If they don't hit those targets, then the discussion we'll have in this podcast will be quite clear. You know, so that's what we've got to see. I think the hardest thing in football to get right is the balance between the rightful need and desire to win immediately and the more nuanced and challenging goal of building for the future and not making moves in the near term that that mortgage your future. That structure is very difficult. The easiest thing in the world is when everybody in a work environment has goals that are aligned. What do you do when the goals are out of alignment? What do you do when the coach needs something now to win now and the director of football feels that that move is not best for the long term. 
Is that how you wind up with a Willian? That, that's the kind of thing that can be challenging. Oh, he can hit the ground running. He'll be good right now. He'll be ready right now. The irony is, guys, you know, you know what I think is funny about hindsight? Let's say Willian was playing well right now, really playing well and contributing to us winning football matches. I'd still be dead set against that move, but it would be a much more, um, uh, it would be a much more heterodox viewpoint. But it's the point that the move isn't bad because he's playing badly. The move is bad because it was bad strategically for where we're trying to go. And I do wonder if that alignment exists. And Clive, it sounds like you wanted to correct whatever inanity I've just added to the podcast. <laughs> no, no, I think you ended up beautifully there. I think it's just a fine line. There was a period at Liverpool when. Um, I think Klopp wanted Julian Brandt, didn't he? And he was argued against them. And they, his analytics guy said, you know, you should get Salah. And he wanted Julian Brandt, you know, getting Salah. And he scored 4,000 goals in, in a season, right? So, fine line. I don't think Brandt would have given him that sort of output. Um, I was talking to Tim earlier today. We were talking about getting these decisions right. I remember when Spurs had the soldados of this world. We were laughing at them. But now we're not laughing so much with William, are we? It's just we've got to get a framework and a structure in place to get more of these things right and get the motivations clear. I'm back where I'm back where you are, Elliot, about how you build a squad and the age profile. I think it's really clear what we need to do next and the ages of the people need to come in. If we don't start to see that from this group, I think they're going to be questioned because I think fans are not stupid. They know what we need to do. We know the age group. They know how to build. They know about resale. They can all see the numbers. We need to be. We need to get better for sure. Yeah, and, and and you know the funny thing, take it out of the Arsenal context and look at a club where it'd be just easier to, to evaluate, um, uh, in, in sort of a cold objective way. Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace are going to be in the Championship in the next two to three seasons. They're going down. And the reason they're going down is everyone of value for them is basically pushing 30. And they're not going to get any resale value for those players. They failed to move on the players that had value. They had the ability to move on Zaha for a price that you could have rebuilt a pretty decent Premier League squad just off what he would have brought in maybe two summers ago and they didn't do it. I don't know that he can bring in that kind of fee anymore in a COVID world and at the age that he's at. And so now you say, where does that leave Crystal Palace? Well, Crystal Palace are aging. They don't have the replacements. They're going to have to replace on the cheap because they don't have anyone to sell. And they're going to wind up using very young players or players that they're hoping can make a big leap up in quality that they've had to buy in a cost-effective way. Crystal Palace will go down. And it won't be a surprise because they've mismanaged this project. Now, it's harder for them, right? They have less revenue. They're, they're a team that just wants to stay up. And so they could always go down and say, oh, great, you pick a team that's going to be threatened with relegation every season to go down. You're a genius. It's not the point. It's the point that they haven't leveraged their situation effectively. And so, you know, we'll watch, but my guess is that we will see Crystal Palace go down as a result of the fact that, you know, they're an aging squad that hasn't been replaced. I mean, in 20, what, in 2017-18, they were 11th. In 2018-19, they were 12th. This is panning out nicely. Can we get a 13th in 2019-20? In 2019-2020, they were 14th. And now they are... You know, sitting, to be fair, um, I think a little better than that. Let's see where they are now. They are 13th, you know, but on 23 points. And, and you know, you wouldn't say that they're they're safe, but they're probably safe for now. My point is just when you look at it with a team that's not Arsenal, you see the problem with leaning into a win-now approach that doesn't try to leverage assets, try to replace them effectively, try to cash in when you can and, and rebuild and strengthen. Now, we, we have the revenue that we have. We can keep our floor above relegation, of course you'd think 
they don't. And so they'll go down. And that's that's really what this is all about. The teams that are smarter move up and the teams that are dumber move down. Um, so let's leave it there. I, I, you know, we've done 17 minutes on squad building. We haven't touched on the game, but I hope everybody listening is fine with that because like even just one day after the game, I, I don't have a lot of bloodlust about it. Tim, I... It's not so much that we didn't win. I, I, you know, I'd rather be process oriented than results oriented, as as I tediously harp on about again and again uh, when I'm not making dick garlic jokes. But like this, this is a reminder that whatever renaissance we feel we have from an attacking standpoint is more of a stuttering one than a linear one, which is which is to be expected. But when you look at the Chelsea game and how we got our goals, penalty, free kick, cross, uh, you know that went in, but was obviously a brilliant shot. And you look at the Brighton game where we had one shot at halftime the Newcastle Cup tie where we had no goals after 90 minutes and, and really a turgid affair until we turned it on in um, in extra time. The West Brom game, which was stunning, and then this game again where we produced about half a goal of expected goals and you know had two shots at halftime. I don't think it's... I, I think it's safe to say that the 4-2-3-1 and the introduction of Smith-Rowe hasn't fixed what's wrong. But for me, the thing that seems most blindingly clearly wrong is just the tempo. The... The number of players yeah, yeah. that want extra touches, that don't want to try to play vertical passes in central spaces that are dangerous, that are high risk, high reward. The willingness to take a few extra touches, take the easy option out to the wing. We still just seem too willing to take our time and set on the easiest option. Is that oversimplifying it? Uh, no, no, that's. I, I think that's pretty bang on. I, I still think we look better. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't. I don't think I ever thought that, um, you know, Smith Rowe coming in and, and Saka on the right had solved everything. Um, like, I still think we looked better in this game compared to, like, the Wolves home game and the Burnley home yeah, game. Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, I, I think you're right. I, I think what what we've done in adding Smith Rowe, we've sped up in the final third a bit. And and now we need to speed up in the middle third um, as well. And there, and there were a few things governing that. Um, you know, on the instant reaction pod, we we had a discussion about the central midfielders. But one of the things we didn't discuss was David Luiz. Um, and, and we probably should have because that he he's the same. He likes lots and lots and lots of touches. Um, you know, he does hit a good pass, but he does take his time doing it as well. Um, and and I guess as well the thing is with I guess both Louise and Xhaka, although I, I'm less inclined to quote unquote blame Xhaka, um in this game, even if I thought he was a bit up and down, is that they're just really dominant characters. You know, I, I I've been thinking this about Xhaka in particular, and I, I just kind of think sometimes I think Xhaka would make like um like a a good like just piece of your team but not like the main piece you know and it, and it seems like and again this isn't like a criticism of him per se but it seems like if you play Xhaka like you really commit to Xhaka um, and, and that's it and he's one of the reference points in the team whereas like sometimes I feel like he'd be better as one of those background characters I guess a bit like Rob Holding like Rob Holding is is not I think one of like the leaders of the team or anything like that but he's just one of those kind of guys who's just quietly and and I guess Marie um in the smaller sample size that we've seen him is just like yeah just come into the team and quietly do a good job whereas I feel like some of our more dominant characters are the ones who who kind of do this and 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 it's like taking, um, liking to take touches doesn't make you a bad player. It's just that Arsenal have got too many of them. And then you you look wide, and Willian is kind of he's a touch heavy player. 
uh, as well. So is Pepe. And and then you've got like the polar opposite in Aubameyang, um, a guy who really doesn't want any touches unless they're in front of goal. Um, and, and so it's it's just a bad mix. And that that's, that's I think, really the issue with this squad. I, I don't honestly look at many players in this squad and think like, fuck, you're just terrible at football. Um, you're just horrible. I look at a lot of these players and I think in, in a different team, you could be a really good player. Um, not as like the main player, um, but, you know, like someone like Ceballos, for example, I, I could see him playing... Um, you know, playing playing for a really really good team, just not in an absolute main role. I could see him in that kind of, you know, fl- pushing the ball backwards and forwards between a six and a ten. I think he could do that all day for pretty much anyone. Mm. The problem at Arsenal is we we lack creativity so much that we kind of look to him to be something that maybe he's not, and he's not a bad passer of the ball at all. He's a good passer of the ball. It's just, I guess we're we're maybe harsh on him and maybe harsh on Jacka sometimes as well because we're looking for them to be something they're not, um, and 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 yeah, it's it's just it's the mix in the team. But I tell you t- something, um, something I, I listened to today that that really really made me think. I, I was listening to um, the Totally Football Show actually, and Carl Anker was on it, and he covers. Um, Man United for the Athletic something he said really jumped out he was talking about Brighton actually and he was saying like watching Brighton and you know Brighton have got this problem where they actually create quite a lot of shots but they've just they haven't got anyone that can convert them um, and they they bought Danny Welbeck to try and solve that which um, you know bless him I, I love Danny Welbeck but he's not the guy that solves that problem for you mm. and and he was saying um, and I think this is a really good point it, well he, well he was saying about Brighton that they get these like 15, 20 minute spells, but they can't score. And, and it made me think, and I broadened that out actually. And I thought to myself, I'm seeing that a lot in the premier league this season because like the pressing numbers have dropped teams, physical intensity has really dropped teams are sitting off more. Mm. And I'm looking at a lot of teams and I'm thinking like even Sheffield United, I've watched a lot of Sheffield United. They do not look bad at all. They do not look like a bad team. They just can't score. And I keep watching them have these 15, 20 minute, periods of dominance in games and they don't do anything brighton exactly the same like they they dominate parts of games they don't do anything and i'm seeing this loads and loads and then i look at the other end of the table and i look at man united and i've watched probably of their last 10 games i've watched i don't know seven eight of them i don't think they've played well in any of them but what happens with united is that when they get their 15 20 minutes they score Mm. And one of um, the the criticisms I remember making of Arsenal after Project Restart, one of the things I got frustrated about was I felt like Arsenal kept having these 15, 20-minute periods where they were good in games but not capitalising on them. And actually, I, I think that's happening a lot more widely in the league. I think what's happening is you're having fewer games at the moment because of the compressed nature of the schedule and teams doing that sitting off more. Every team's having a sh- like getting a swing um in a game and the teams that are getting the results are the ones who can punch when that when they get their chance to punch they can punch and you look at yeah united have got a lot of expensive attacking a talent talent so you'd expect them to be able to do that and they can bring big attackers off the bench and things like that and we spoke in the instant reaction pod about perhaps a problem for arsenal this time is they couldn't really bring anything off the bench like they could against newcastle 
Um, they couldn't bring um, Saka and Smith Rowe and and even Xhaka in that game. You know, really making a difference. We we brought on Pepe, hoping he'd not be shit, and he was shit. Um, we left Willian where he was, and I don't think anyone was clamouring for him to come on anyway. <laughs> we brought on Inketia, you know, and 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 I just think like a real pattern of the Premier League this season is very few teams are really really dominating ninety minute periods. It's like you get your fifteen twenty minutes. And you've got a score when you get it. And Arsenal started each half quite nicely, but they didn't score. And then the game kind of began to peter out a little bit. And, and, and even Palace had a period at the end of the first half where they could have scored and they didn't. They, they could easily. They had the last 10 minutes of the first half. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I just think this is a real pattern. And, and for Arsenal, it's about making those periods count. Yeah, and to be fair, I think... You know, the problem is when we have our dangerous possession, we don't turn it into chances as much as other teams, right? I mean, it goes back to the shot yep. issue. I think we had 11 in this game. We had two shots at halftime in this game, having played reasonably well at periods. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that didn't happen in this game that had been happening more recently, we didn't have as many players in the box. We didn't have as many touches close to the box with players that could exchange passes. And I, I think one reason for that was the loss of Tierney. I think Tierney's, Tierney's availability allows Aubameyang to get closer to the box. He doesn't have to be out as wide because Tierney can do more things sort of becoming a winger. It, it, it almost adds an extra an extra attacker that Maitland-Niles wasn't really able to do. Um, he gave the ball away cheaply a lot in possession and really wasn't able to add to the attack. And so I, I, I think that was a big miss. In a game where Palace played a 4-4-2, really congested the center of the pitch, wouldn't let us play those vertical passes through the middle, which we're not great at anyway, and... and even though I thought Sabayo started the game well, in general, we weren't making those passes. Uh, and the tempo wasn't good, I acknowledge that, but it, it is a case where the wings were available and we really were one wing in this game because of Maitland-Niles' performance. And so, Clive, I don't... You're the last person I'm going to turn to on this podcast to put the boot in. It's not, it's not your nature, it's not your way, but I, I do think thoughtfully we can analyze this performance because we're in a weird place with Maitland-Niles. This is why every decision gets so becomes so critical at this level of football. We had bids for him. He could have gone. He could have gone to a place where he could thrive, be a defensive, a, a fullback on a team that needs a defensive fullback more, probably play on the right where he's more natural. We kept him. He fell out of favor quickly if he was in favor at all. Not much of a plan for him, and now he struggles to get into the game, and he does, and he's playing left back, and it doesn't work for him, and now you wonder when Arteta will trust him again. Um, it, it just doesn't seem like it's working out. I, I'm not asking you to kill Maitland now, but do you want to talk about maybe what he got wrong? What, what, what he got wrong and how it impacted? What happened in the yeah, game. Please, yeah. So Maitland now is, you know, he's never been a really successful left back in a in a back four. He's generally played left wing back in a in a five, and then he does that hybrid role. When he comes inside. Tierney goes on the outside. There's an overlapping centre back, and all's good. So he's not generally been asked to play as left back really in a four for too long. You know, so in this game with us with them giving the sides, this was not the day for a right footed left back. It just it just wasn't. Because when you have a low block, how do you beat a low block? So you can play over the top, you can switch diagonals, but as you're switching diagonals, as the ball's travelling, you want to get third man runners to run off as the ball's going over to get over to that side to create superiorities. So we were given the outside. So what do we do with them? So 
Well, I don't think we're great on both sides, by the way. You can see Maitland-Niles a bit more because the, the parties are breaking down and the player that he's playing with is not really a creator. He doesn't want to be there. And Aubameyang was thinking, I'm playing with Tierney. He was shooting off in the box too much or sometimes and he wasn't connecting. That's not really his strength, right? So so it was, it, it was a complete breakdown, a lack of adjustment to the fact that we lost Tierney on the day of the game. What we did was we replaced with somebody that was just not the same player, not suitable for that role, very, very simply. You maybe need a little bit more thought. Maybe it's a day for Saka out there in the wing-back system. Um, I'm, you know, it's a shame we have to rely on that kid so much, but if we wanted to replicate what we've been doing, I find it quite funny that we talk about crossing, and a few weeks ago when we were crossing and not scoring, people were saying, why are we crossing so much? Now we're thinking we need a crosser out there. It's all about the result. It's all about what happens, and that changes things, right? So we didn't really, and we haven't really, got a strategy for understanding how to beat low blocks. Why do people play low blocks? They play low blocks because they want positional superiority and security on the pitch. This is how teams are closing the fiscal gap. You can do it by a sports science, having fit runners. You can do it by coaching like this. Lots of teams are playing low blocks and trying to break on you. That's how they get their points. That's how they get the 100 million quid per saying in the league. Everyone's doing it. Thank you, Jose Mourinho, for bringing that to football. Now everyone's copying you, so we have to spend a lot of our time watching Premier League games, watching 10 people behind the ball in a 4-4-2 block, barricading the middle zones, taking out number 10. That's why number 10s are not in fashion. Number 10s are going to wide areas. We call number 8s now because they need to be more mobile and free. And they're protecting those areas and they're discouraging people from running through. So you go around, over the top, or you run through. To run through, you need brave passes, quick passes, tempo. We haven't really got that, have we? Mm. Crystal Palace quite cleverly gave let Holding, Louise, Xhaka and Sabias have the ball. Right? So... I'm sorry, none of them are quick passes. They're not quick passes. They're hard to get to them. They like to have the ball. Tim alluded to earlier, they like to have the ball, like to feel the ball. They're not quick. They're not quick. So we didn't have a team strategy for breaking a low block. Your point yesterday about pressing, I thought was really interesting. I watched the game again today. It's something we've got to introduce into our game. I totally agree. I didn't feel it in this game, Elliot, that it was one of those things that we could have done. But if we are going to do it, they they were they are able to travel. They're able to run, and the good thing about you know Shaka and Sabayas is they're quite calm on the ball. They can go around the horseshoe, etc. But they can be run past. You know they can be run past. Whether you like it, I know you like the guy, but Bellerin has been run past by by more than any other fullback in Europe or in yep. our league apart from yep. Lamptey. Right? They get run past. They're not positionally disciplined. They want to feel the ball. They want to be in areas. Right? So. I, it's it's about when I look at the game and I look at the the players that have the most influence. They're not the players we want to have the most influence. I want Bamiyang having the most influence. I want Saka having the most influence. I want Smith Rowe. But guess what? Other teams are ready for him, so they're going to crowd them out. And so it's just we have to have a strategy to beat these systems. We have to think about it. I think we're not there in our development yet. We're still trying to build some authority. And I do agree. I didn't feel we were going to lose this game, although we could have done. In some of those recent games for Christmas, I was worried about every two minutes. In this game, I thought, oh, we're better than these. When are we going to score? We didn't quite do it. 
And again, we're living in these fine margins again, aren't we? And the, the whole league has been about fine margins. These teams are well coached. They know what to do. They know what to stand. They know how to nullify you. They know how to nullify your threats. Smith Rose had three or four brilliant games. Bang, we'll sort him out. We're going to stand on his feet. We're going to kick him. We're going to kick Saka. And we have to go again now, don't we? And create a new face. Create a new face. And this is the challenge of Premier League football. Our issue is we are crying because our left back's got a, a tight calf. That can't be who we are. It cannot be we lose a left back and this all falls down. You know? And it can't be that. And this is the thing we were talking about previously. The moment we see these players shine, my, our first thought should be how can we replicate them so we can keep it going? or something similar, we can create a new phase. We are not in that situation. We've got too much redundancy in the squad that needs to go so we can have a, a set of people that provide different approaches to systems like this because, mate, I'm telling you, I, I don't know how we are just not successful at breaking these low blocks down, particularly at home. We're just not. You know? And our home form this year, I don't know what it is exactly, but... It's not very good, is it? Not very good. No, I, I think we've won one of our last seven Premier League games at home, something crazy like that. Um, you know, and, and what I would say, Clive, you know, why aren't we better at breaking down low blocks? I think to break down a low block, you have to do one of two things, right? You have to have very quick one-touch passing in tight spaces, right? Where you literally just Correct. sort of ping the ball around the players. So you need to close the distances. You need players who can play one touch. Well, Ceballos, as, as great as I thought he played early, he's not a one-touch player. Shaq is not a one-touch player. Um, Emil Smith-Rowe can definitely be a one-touch player, but his distance from those two was pretty far away. And, and so you can't do that. With. The other way you can do it is you can carry the ball beyond a guy and force another guy to come out of his hole, right? And and yeah. so we used to be able to do that with some of our midfielders. Like a Thomas Rosicki used to be able to do that. And, um, you know, we've had midfielders... Jack Wilshire sort of could do it at some level. Santi Cazorla certainly could do it. Um, well, Shaka can't do that. Ceballos, eh, a little bit, but still not so much. Maybe Thomas Party will add a little bit of that. Um, but so I, I think we lack in central spaces the kinds of things you need to unlock those low blocks. And so that's, you know, that's obviously an issue. And, you know, I, I do think when you're you're given the wide areas, you know, fullbacks have become so important in the game. To begin with, in this game, you know, Maitland-Niles playing at the level that he was playing you know, I just think exacerbated a problem we already had of, of being very one-dimensional. So everything wound up having to go through the right or Obama had to come out to the touchline away from the penalty area and that didn't work. You want, to, you want to finish up that thought? No, I think you're absolutely correct. I think you're absolutely correct. The issue is not the personnel. It's a, it's a lack of multi, multi-dimensions. Mm. I think you're absolutely correct. It gets exacerbated when someone has a bad game and then or someone, you know, I was saying earlier today that there's a couple of players in our team that are irreplaceable. And like one's a goalkeeper and one's Tierney because the gap in style and quality between the guy at the front of the shop and the guy at the second place is just too big, right? It's just too big. And we saw that today. And it, I'm sorry, yesterday. <laughs> we saw that yesterday. And, uh, you know, let's not hope, let's just hope that Leonard doesn't <laughs> get injured, right? Because the gap between him and, and Chitterson is just too big, right? So, Again, Arsenal had been, Tierney had been so influential, there was no chance almost anybody in the league could give us what he's been giving us the last few four games. Because I don't think there's been many better players in the league. And so to replace him with somebody that's a defensive wide player 
on his wrong side. If we're honest, it was never going to work unless we changed systems or adapted how we played to allow him to play to his strengths. And plus he had a poor game, just went started bad and just got a little bit worse. Didn't really deliver until just after halftime once he calmed down, had 10, 15 minutes and he, he got the hook. So it was over for him. But I think it's much more an issue of we lost our balance. That's what the issue was. It was completely taken away by having the two wide areas completely nullified on both sides, really, and but more more so on the left-hand side for us. Yeah, and, and Tim, I don't want to shut you out of this portion of the conversation. Just in terms of problem-solving, I want to get into a couple other individual performances in a moment, but I really do feel that we have to have a way to break down low blocks. I mean, it, it was no surprise that for a while our superpower was that we could play play against the big clubs competently and even beat them as we saw in the FA Cup and then, you know, struggle against the worst sides because or the weakest teams because we couldn't break them down. I still think that's an issue. And, you know, to the extent that there are some ways we can do it through passing, through movement, things like that, it does seem to me that the extent to which we just do not press the opposition. I mean, there were times, you know, in the Discord, a lot of times you see certain comments pop up that are just popping up so much that you know it's a common theme. One of the complaints that was popping up a lot that was really a common theme was just <laughs> how deep we were sitting at times. We do make it fairly easy for teams to progress the ball in our half. We sit in the low block. And the, the issue I have with that is it's not just that you're not pressing. It's that when you do get the ball back, you've got so much work to do to move it into a dangerous position. You've got the whole whole pitch to go, right? You've you got to build it back up. you got to bring it back into the other... Now, maybe you say they've advanced so you can, you can transition a little more easily. I, that's a more sophisticated, nuanced argument, I guess, but... Do you think that adding a press is a, is a priority for us? And, and maybe we don't have the personnel for it, I, I concede. But it seems to me that even though teams are pressing a bit less this season generally, the, the best teams have the ability to turn that on at times and create mm. create chances through chaos. The easiest way to create a chance is through an error. There was a play in this game. Hector Bellerin made it. He took it off someone's foot right at the edge of the area, didn't he? Um, yeah. He robbed someone. And I don't remember what... Do you, either of you guys remember Sorry, what happened Mitchell. there? Mitchell. And- yeah, he it was t- he intercepted a pass from Tyreek Mitchell, mm-hmm. um, and then he went into the area, and I think he he found a Bamiang on the back post, but I think Palace kind of got back. But yes, it was it was um, one of the one of the few times we really created danger. I think as and well, it was, the, yeah, one pass right because all we we intercepted. Yeah, yeah, and there was there, there was a great pass from Sabios to a Bamiang as well, and Over I the think top. that. Mm-hmm might have come from um from some broken play as well i like i i think yes we have to add that but at the same time i don't think we have the personnel i i think my read on on what happens and what happened a little bit in this game so i think there were a few you know there, there are games like you said the brighton game which we kind of only just won um one nil against a, a similar kind of team and newcastle we needed extra time and and there were just a few little kind of i guess half things going on here you know losing Tierney and not having that that left-footed left back and um you know Louise coming in and Louise coming in means your defensive line drops uh whereas Holding and Mari had been holding a little bit higher um and I think they moved the ball more quickly as well neither of them can hit a pass like David Louise but neither of them takes 15 seconds to do it either 
Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I said this before about about Xhaka and Ceballos. They're, they're not bad players. Um, Xhaka makes bad decisions sometimes, but they're not bad players at all. It's just they're both much more comfortable, I think, in their own half. And I think when we play Xhaka and Ceballos together, um, and, and to be honest, you know, absent party, um, we, we don't really have like a better midfield combination. Like none of our midfield combinations are really any good. But Xhaka and Ceballos, that to me is like, um, that that's a really like counter, yeah, almost counter-attacking midfield too, who kind of like to sit in front of the defence um, a little bit. And, and that's just what like one of the big differences Smith Rowe made, right? He mm. just reduced the distance that the, the, the ball has to progress. Whereas before it was like Xhaka and Ceballos halfway inside the Arsenal half and then like, you know, getting the binoculars out to see where Lacazette is and Lacazette kind of doing a steeple chase towards the halfway line to go and get it. Like, I I just think that with those three players in particular, we just we just fall back quite naturally. Um, like they have some good, like Xhaka did had some really good defensive interventions in this game. Um, I think Sabios is is really good defensively. Actually, I think like his interceptions are really really good. It's just that's all in our half, and we particularly when you play like a low block, you need to be like you need to be higher up the pitch basically. Mm. And we just, we couldn't do that. And I, I think the other thing is as well, is that then the pass becomes, which we, we just pass out wide straight away. And really what you want, if your attack is really functioning, you don't want your wingers involved until the last like 20 yards of the pitch. And, too often what happens with Arsenal is that the, we get the ball around the centre circle and it goes wide. And once you've gone wide, like, that's it. Like, because once you go wide, the other team is set. Like, everyone moves over, right? So once you pass back into the centre, like, it's it's compact. Everyone's there already. So, like, when you pass out wide, that needs to almost be the penultimate pass of the move. Like um, Aubameyang's goal against Newcastle. Xhaka to Tierney, Tierney mm-hmm. coming, you know. That's what you want. You want your wide players involved. That's what that's what happened. Like with Pep at City, Sterling and Sane weren't beating people like halfway inside the half. They they were getting on the end of things. Uh, they were either crossing or they were getting in the box uh, to get on the end of cutbacks. So uh, there's a few things like that going on, I think. But essentially, I I don't think we really. We, we certainly in this game we didn't have the players to counter press. We we don't really have we don't have the midfielders to do it. Maybe Party is, um, I think Party certainly gets us closer to that. Um, and look, when you give a three-year contract to a 31-year-old and a three-year contract to a 32-year-old, you're not setting yourself up to be a rampant high-pressing team. Um, you know, maybe like Martinelli can. Can, well, Martinelli would certainly help that. Um, I also think it's something else that Smith Rowe has brought to the team. If you look at, um, you know, that that wonderful goal against West Brom, that kind of starts with with him cutting out a pass. I've seen him do it a couple of other times, just nick the ball off of players. But but yeah, I I, I agree with you. We need to add that. I just don't think um, in certain parts of the pitch. I just don't think those players exist in the current squad. Yeah, Clive, you had something to add there? Yeah, Tim, Tim got there, to be honest. It's just, 
It is difficult. When you, when you talk about there, Tim, about moving the ball out wide, once it goes out there, you, the trick is if it goes back into the middle with certainty. Now, Zaka didn't get many crosses in, and Bellerin was some, too, too inverted, in my opinion. I need to split that one around. And on the left-hand side, obviously, Maitland-Niles on his wrong foot, and the Bamiyang did some okay things early on. But what you do when you flip the ball out wide, what are you doing? You're trying to create superiority. So you move the ball out there quickly at distance, and then you get over there quickly to that zone, and you try to create superiority. So our movement wasn't there. So we're passing. Got loads of passes. Well done. There you go. Let's knock it out there. There's no one to connect with. Let's knock it back. You know, and then what happens is we end up in this square back passing. I just had a quick look on stats on we did we had a three hundred and seventy-two square and backward passes yesterday. Mm. And that seems to be quite a lot to me. Against West Brom, it was two hundred and ninety. Right. So you may say that's quite a lot. That just tells me that we had the ball nicely while those thirty year old Crystal Palace monsters were breathing. And resting while well, we're fancying ourselves. Do you know what I mean? Taking our time, having a touch, knocking it here, getting it back. You're not hurting people. You're not moving people. It's not down to individuals. It's down to how we play. And this game proved it. The first 15 minutes where we had the dressing room noises in our ears, we looked fine. And the first few minutes after halftime, and Tim said last night, that's our golden period. Absolutely right. Every time we get a flea in our ear, it reminds us who we are, and we go we go after them. We didn't score this time, but we should have, maybe could have done, and should have done. Didn't score, should have won the game. If we had scored in that period, we would have won the game. We need to know, keep in our minds who we are, and sustain that pattern of play, regardless of the individuals, because we cannot get wrapped up in individual players, because when they're not there, they will not always play. What do we fall back on? We fall back on our principles, we fall back on what we do in certain game scenarios. And there's not enough of that ingrained in this group. Some of that may be down to inconsistency of selection due to various reasons. Some of that, for me, is something we need to introduce real quick. And we, we built the base. Defensively, we look quite solid. But we need an offensive strategy for different game scenarios. And this was one we have not cracked yet. Yeah. Um, I totally agree with that. And I want to shift the conversation then into just a couple of individual performances uh before we get out of here and and i think there are a few that we should we should break down but i'm not going to do a manscaped ad um in this in this episode but i just have to mention this because i think it's hilarious um they said that like literally this is a true story i got an email from manscaped saying the next product we're going to be sending you to sample that, that you can promote is a cologne and literally the next email I got was like a, a Google News email saying Arsenal have hired Dick Garlic. So like, yeah, the fact that Manscaped is going to be offering a cologne and we hired Dick Garlic, like, I mean, it, you're going to be hearing a lot of that worked into Manscaped ads. Like, I'm just sorry. That's that's going to be happening. Um, and if you want to go to manscaped.com with promo code Arsenal Vision, that'd be great. But again, we're not not going to do the advert right now, at least not, not in a full way. But I, I just, I found that humorous and I thought you might find it humorous as well. So... Tim, a, f- a few different individual performances to break down here. Uh, I don't want to go deep on the David Luiz performance, but I, I definitely think that for a player who has the ability to make a lot of really interesting and hurtful passes, I thought he was extremely, extremely slow to move the ball and not particularly adventurous mm. with his passing in this game. But my goodness, like 
I I never noticed how much he slows things down. It's weird. When he's in the game, I think two things happen. The midfielders defer more to him to step up and be a playmaker. And he then takes an eternity to do it. And so I just wonder if that dynamic is bad, both because I think it some of the responsibility leaves the midfielders in a way, and because he just the, the, the pace of the game goes to to walking pace. Did, did you notice that in this game as well? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, it kind of reminds me of, have you, do you know those people that, um, I don't know like whether other people get this, but I, I guess being like a bit of an introvert, do you ever get like those people sometimes they come into a room or I don't know, you're a party or a gathering or talking to friends or colleagues or whatever, and you don't, you don't hate them or anything. You don't think they're bad people, but they're just a bit much. And you just go a bit quiet when they join the conversation because they just like dominate it too much. I don't know and... anybody like that. And no one comes to mind like that. I cannot think of a single person. Li- uh, I may have been and, a person like that occasionally. And, <laughs> but, and, and, you know, they make everything about them. Um, and they start I do talking not do about that. themselves. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and like every, every subject you talk about, they start talking about them. So they somehow relate that subject to themselves and mm. tell another anecdote about mm. themselves. And, and they're not terrible people at all, but you just kind of sit there and go, oh, okay, I'm, I'm just going to like nod and smile and drift off until this person leaves again. That that's kind of what David Louise is like in a, in a footballing sense. It's just um, when, you know, when someone dominates a room, but you don't really want them to like, there are some people who dominate. But it's a room not accretive. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. There are some, there are some people who can dominate a room and you think, yes, dominate. Yes. I want to listen to you. I'm I want to be dominated to you. by you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And then there are some people who dominate a room and you're like, uh, is this going to end soon? Um, and like I say, you don't hate them and they're, they're not bad people. It's just, yeah, you don't quite have the charisma to do that, actually. And and that's kind of how I feel about David Luiz. And I guess, to an extent, Granit Xhaka as well. It's like, you know, they're not bad footballers at all. It's just they can't quite go into the background. And, and you know, big I felt... Big alphas, in- aren't they, Tim? They're big alphas. Yeah, yeah. They make they're you wonder alphas. how they're going to coexist in the, as this team develops. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not sure they really can. And like with Louise, it's probably not going to be an issue anyway, because I'm sure he'll go. But yeah, it's their alphas. You know, we talk about Pepe as being like an individual, but just not quite being good enough to justify it. I think we've got that a bit going on with with Louise and maybe Xhaka, like they're alphas, but they're not quite good enough to pull it off. And um, and like Louise, every time you got the ball, like waving his arms and telling everyone to go forward, it, it kind of reminded me of when Alexis used to do that. He used to do that, like waving people forward to press. And you kind of think, well, no one else is doing it. So obviously yeah. the manager <laughs> has to work. Told <laughs> to do it. So like you're you're kind of go, but with you, but with Alexis, it's kind of fu- it was fine because he was brilliant. <laughs> but I did used to look at him and go. But surely the manager hasn't told, like you're not managing the team as well. Like if they haven't been told to press, they're not going to. Whether like I think they should be or not, and it's kind of the same with Louise, like waving everyone forward. And and I felt like um, Rob Holding, like yeah, like, like I've 
but the way Luis kept trying to shepherd him into positions he didn't really want or need to be in and slowing things down, it was just it just wasn't a great fit. And again, it's not because David Luiz is a terrible person or a terrible footballer. It's just it it's not really a fit. And I just think we've got that's why sometimes I think it's just so hard to put your finger on exactly what's and it's so hard to really assign it to individuals. Like it's really hard to say like you know, Danny Ceballos is, is clearly not a terrible footballer. He's not a bad footballer at all. He's a good footballer, but there's just something that doesn't quite work. And it's, it's, it, I feel like that about a lot of players. I look at them and I think you're not bad, but there's just something here that's not working. And I, I think it's just really down to the chemistry. And, and I really think David Luiz at this stage of his career, um, you know, should either go to like Benfica, although I'm not sure uh, Jorge Jesus is going to be there much longer, which might kill that one because that's like David Luiz's hero and idol. Um, but like, I feel like he should, like, he'd be a better fit now at like maybe like a a, a lower or at least. <laughs> I mean, we are a lower level Premier League team at the moment, but you know, like someone who sits more naturally in that part of the table, the type of team that would go, yeah, okay, I, I don't mind David Luiz telling me what to do. Um, mm. Or maybe a team that plays in a deep block, because uh, I think he's come to a stage of his career where that's probably more the type of defending that he's kind of capable of. Um, and yeah, it's it's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's, it's just, it's not a fit and it's it's difficult to put your finger on um in a way but it's just it's just too many of that type of player um at the same time and and yeah i think louis really slowed us down yeah and and i think that given you know it, it is such an interesting thing right because given what he can do with the ball in my mind i think this is a guy who can create different angles of attack and different threat but because of how slow he plays it and given the fact that like he just steps up to where the midfielders are. It doesn't really change the problem that the defense has to solve. You know what I mean? Instead of the ball coming from Shaka, it's just coming from Luis. Right? It's not. It's not coming from a different area of the pitch. It's not coming yeah. from different different depth. It's not a different type of pass. The same pass, different player, slower pace. Um, which leads me to Shaka, Clive, and this is why I think football is a really tough game to analyze. It is such a moments game, and when a game is boring, in particular large swathes of the game can just evaporate from your memory. And so, Granite Shaka sliding heroically into his box to clear ball over the bar. Granite Shaka making a phenomenal last-ditch tackle on, on Zaha when the entire central defense had opted not to take on the challenge. Those things will stick in your mind, and rightfully so. 11 ball recoveries overwhelmingly leads the team. One of the best defensive performances from Shaka in recent memory. But... Needs to be said that several of those ball recoveries came from his own dreadful giveaways under no pressure in dangerous positions, which, by the way, Arteta was quick to point out. Um, and once again, deferring responsibility for playing those hurtful balls into the central zones and and you know trying to break lines by just pinging it out to the wings. So like, football's a hard game to analyze because it's never one thing or the other. So are you more impressed by... And look, his defensive involvement matters it's important we didn't lose this game as disappointing as the attacking performance was we did keep the clean sheet and we did draw the game and Shaka deserves a lot of credit for that because of the defending he did so how do you analyze a performance like that that is extremely flawed on the ball in many ways but is a big part of how we we kept our, our clean sheet 
Yeah, he almost epitomizes eighth place Arsenal, right? If we if we're lucky, yeah. <laughs> he almost epitomizes that, and because he he does some really good things, and he, you think he's going to cut the ball out, and he doesn't quite cut it out or goes through it the wrong foot. Then he gets to tackle someone and steps on their foot, gives away free kicks, multiple free kicks, and you just like. It's just one good thing, one bad. It's just continuous, you know. And um, I think with Shaka, he just isn't what we hoped he would be for some of us. And he just can't quite reach those expectations. So we accept when he has a good game. When he doesn't, he confirms what we originally thought. And then we can say that about a few of our players. Pepe is another one. He doesn't quite match the expectations. When he has a good game, we will, we will ride with that. When he doesn't, oh, well, there you go. There he is. There he is. There he hasn't gone away, and we do that a lot. You know, we we have these preconceptions. We let's be honest. We all we've all got our biases deep down, and when they pop up, we we leap on them. Right? Some of us, some of us harder than others. <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> so, um, so I, I don't know what you're talking them. about, but keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so so Shaka in this game, if he was more athletic, we could have done a rather than a two plus one. You know, we were double pivot and the. And the one guy trying to find some space, we could have done a one plus two, you know. And this was a game. I actually, you know, I actually think this was a coaching miss. This game, we need to stand in the tulips, not stand on the outside of the rose garden. Stand within the tulips and start passing to each other. You know what I mean? Force them to move, and we stood in front of them, away from them, because it was easier to stand there. It was easier to have a block four guy standing there. Where's, you know, get Tobias on. Remember when we used to do the old back three thing and Shaq used to play Ramsey? I quite liked it. I quite liked it because Ramsey didn't care about what's behind him. He only cared about what's in front of him. So off he went. You better follow me. And Shaq was forced to play the tip of uh, a back four diamond, if you see what I mean, with three and him at the... with a sweeper and then him at the tip. And he was forced to hold that middle. And I thought it quite suited him. It suited his personality. It suited the fact that it suited his alpha personality. It suited the fact that he had all his responsibility. And then Ramsey would get back round again to have a nibble from the front on the tackle. Then he'd shoot off again. They'd have to go and follow him. And it sort of worked. It sort of worked. In this role, he's almost as though it's a bit easy for him. He's got David Louise behind him. He hasn't got to make all the passes. And so, and then he still doesn't go and super engage. So he super engages retrospectively. So those tackles are great. Like to see him higher up, Elliot. Do you know what I mean higher up to do yeah. your counter pressing angle? If we can get him higher up and we can stand our feet, then we can transition on people in broken play. We don't create broken play. So you have these hero tackles or fouls, by the way, and free kicks against a good set piece team. It's all too close to our box. It's all too far away. We need to push up, engage, and stand in the tulips, mate. Stand in there. Get in there amongst them and start knocking bodies out of the way. Start making passes that make people move away. You know, we don't. We take the easy option to stand in front of a back two in a in a in a four block and just pass to each other. Don't I don't wait to look at the pass combinations, it just depress you. Just pass to each other. Holding, Tobias, Jacka, Louise, all just passing to each other. It's just not enough. It's not enough game intelligence. And they they mugged us like Leicester did. They mugged us and said, we're going to give you the ball there. And have you got the brains to leave yourself exposed? Because we want you to do that. Or are you going to just sit off and, and, and wait for a, a bit of ingenuity? 
And we didn't have the ingenuity and the sharpness on the day. We sat off 600 passes later, nil-nil draw, go to sleep. Yeah. And and I mean, I, I think the problem also is that, like, I like Alexander Lacazette. I like that he's worked hard to get back into a bit of form and, and be a factor for us. I think that this system asks so much of him because he still has to be a big part of our playmaking option with Smith Rowe and, and linking there. And then he has to get in the box and finish moves. And when he doesn't do it, like he didn't do it on this night, everything just falls apart. He had no shots in this game. Um, you know, without Tierney, Aubameyang was further from the box. So I, the shape didn't look right. And I agree with you completely about where the passes are coming from and, and game intelligence. I want to do two um, uh, substitute appearances before we get out of here, though. And Tim, one of them is the return of Thomas Party. It should be big news. I think it's overshadowed by the fact that it just didn't mean anything, really. It, did, it didn't do anything for the game. And, and I'm curious. I mean, we haven't seen a ton of Thomas Party. We've seen him look pretty good. But let's be honest. We've also seen him play in a game like Leicester where he was mostly bypassed in favor of Shaq and didn't do anything. I think people are going to potentially be hit with the harsh reality that Thomas Party is simultaneously our best central midfielder and an improvement on what we have and also not someone who is going to particularly fix what's wrong with us in terms of the attack. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean he's not a good player, and I don't want to relitigate the transfer itself, but I'm curious if this little cameo that he had here got you excited for him being back or more was a reminder to you that the problems probably lie in an area that he is not particularly suited to fix. I, I think both. Like, um, I, I I was definitely excited to see him back. I, I do think he is. Um, and, and look, I appreciate I ha- I didn't see that much of him for Atleti and he hasn't played for Arsenal that much. So, um, you know, I, I, I haven't seen an awful lot of this player, but I I definitely think he's a level above the other midfielders we've got. He's, yeah, he, look, he's not going to, he's not going, what he's not going to do is start, I, I mean, I think is like just like whacking through balls and opening up defences and things like that. I, I think what he is, is is a piece that's that's just moving in the right direction. Um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, a bit like Smithrow, like Smithrow is not, in and of himself solving all of our problems. He's just the type of player um, that we really needed there. And, and I do think part is that, you know, I do think party is another, it, it's, it's maybe not like a pole vault in the right direction, but it's a jump in the right direction. And we're talking about closing spaces. We're talking about playing a little bit higher up. We're talking about counter pressing and things like that. I, I think party can help us to do that. I think that's, that's the key. He's, he's not going to be this kind of fleet-footed playmaker that we've all... Like, I'm not even sure those players really exist anymore anyway, um, mm. to be honest. But, like, he's not... Right, he's not going to be Kevin De Bruyne, right? He's not going to be David Silva. That's not who he is. But, you know, pl- players... Creativity can take on many guises. And it doesn't have to be like a a Bergkamp or Ozil-esque through ball. Like, I would say Patrick Vieira was a creative player. Um, because he's to bulldoze through people. And again, I'm not saying that Thomas Partey is Patrick Vieira, but do you know what I mean? Like Peter Crouch was a creative player. Look at Peter Crouch's assists record in the Premier League. Very, very impressive. Um, you wouldn't call him a creator, but he was. Um, he was just a different type. It was just because of his his frame and his ability to kind of hold the ball up and bring others into play. That's creativity. So I, I think Partey will help us in creatively in a sense in that, um, you know, he can, 
by the looks of it to me he can you know he can win the ball he can start that counter press he can move he can carry the ball basically i think what he can do is is move defenses about not necessarily with his passing but just create some of that panic that we just don't create at the moment because um we have lots of players who like to you know receive the ball stand and then you know like move it wide like we we don't we don't have a lot of those players that that potentially create panic or run at you with the ball or players really that run in behind you know we're, we're quite a static team um and and i think he can help with that in in terms of disrupting opponents but no he is not like he is not going to be the creator um but he can be a creative force i think but he can also give us i think something we need defensively as well like there are a couple of times in this game where he just won the ball back really well and uh, the thing i like about when he wins the ball back is he keeps control of it after he's won it and that's really really important like his tackles like his first touch um from from what i've seen uh particularly in an arsenal shirt so yeah, you know you Clive, Clive mentioned back. that on the instant reaction pod and i think it's so it's so true right like when a shaka wins the ball yeah. how does he win it you know to the ground sliding, last ditch yeah, heroic yeah. sliding tackle and it maybe goes to to the another opposition player but like parties wins the ball with an eye towards and he's in stride yeah, going yeah. the other way yeah mm-hmm. turning defense yeah, into exactly. attack and- Exactly, exactly. And and all of that can help. Um, and that can help us as an attacking force. It can help us defensively. It can help us bridge the pretty enormous gap that often exists between our midfield and attack and maybe push us up the pitch. And I, I think what we've seen in recent weeks is some of those pieces maybe are, in terms of pushing us up the pitch. Um, some of those pieces are there. We saw that with uh, Holding and Mari. They kind of got us a little bit further up the pitch, which is not to say they are the absolute answer, but, you know, Gabriel as well, he's another player, I think, who can hold a pretty high line. I, I think, and, and you know, Smith-Rowe has come in and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, like, cogs are beginning to turn, but what we've seen last night, which is, is something I think we all knew anyway. I don't think anyone thought, "All oh, right, we're we're going to like we're going to go and win the league now. We're going to win every game." I don't think anyone thought that. And you know, we got Newcastle at home on Monday night. I am pretty much everyone else am expecting a very similar game to this one. I am not expecting us to go out and wallop Newcastle five nil. I think it might be a tight one nil or something like that. Like I, I think most people are realistic about where we are um but if we can just you know it i guess we're on quite a gradual road and some of these things are cause for optimism i think and and party is a big big part of that for me yeah now let's see if we can stay fit and we can sort of build a system that takes advantage of of his skill set because i i have not tended to think that the Problem is one he can fix, but to be fair, during this run where we've improved, the one area where I don't think we've seen much improvement is central midfield, and now he comes back, and maybe that adds another layer uh, to the improvement in in the way we've been playing. Clive, before we get out of here, I think we have to touch on Nicola Pepe. I was thrilled with the change. Maitland-Niles was struggling. The left side was a dead end. Saka moves over there where he's played before and played quite brilliantly to add another attacker on the left-hand side, and Pepe comes in to potentially you know, beat that low block help break it apart a little bit with with his dribbling and his creativity and let's just say it bluntly he stunk the place out he was terrible i am i said this on the instant reaction pod and i want to say it the same way because i think it is exact is the best way i can describe it the delta between what i think he can do as a footballer talent wise and what he repeatedly does when he's on the pitch is a yawning chasm 
I I feel that he is a player who has so much ability. And yet, when he's on the pitch, it so rarely comes out that maybe it's just not there. I'm I'm really dismayed by this performance in particular, though, because I thought it was clunky, it was clumsy, it was indecisive, it was uh, lacking conviction in the way he wanted to do things with the ball. And it's really tricky because this seemed like a game that was tailor-made for him to come in and, and create a little chaos, and the only chaos he created was for himself. So I, am I being overly harsh on him, or are you as concerned about this performance in particular as I am? Yeah, it's a, it's a strange one, wasn't it? I think, um, again, he came on into a team that settled into their lower third, and he was in the crowd scenes on the outside, getting the ball, three people around, come over, pass backwards, right? That's all he did all day, pass backwards, right? So he didn't really affect the game. And when he walked in the in our virtual room of hope, he came on, and we're thinking, okay, we've lost a bit of balance. Now we've got some balance. Seventy-two million pound player. On you come, son. Can you win us the game? He passes backwards, a couple of bumbles, a dodgy shot. You haven't quite reached your expectations, and it's a player. And I actually felt in this game, and people talk about his confidence. They talk about how he receives the ball. Well, I do, but actually, you know what I saw in this game? I saw maybe for the first time other players losing confidence in him. Do you know what I mean? I noticed when he had took a shot, it was like everyone looked at him and said, oh, yeah, cheers, thanks a lot. Do you know what I mean? It's a yeah. little bit like that. And that's the first time I've noticed that because I felt everyone's been with him. I see a guy that's really trying. He works hard defensively. But I felt that people are starting to lose a bit of confidence in what he can actually produce. You know, and um, I don't know if you guys see that when you watch the game again. And it's just, that's a shame. That is a shame. I do feel we had a player that we had a bit of time to work with. We got into a point in the cup final where he started to produce. I do feel the William signing hurt him. I think it hurt his perception in the room. And I think we've lost him a little bit. I can make excuses for him quite easily. But I don't want to any, any longer because the proof's in the pudding. You deliver or you don't. right? And he's an opportunity to deliver. I do feel some players in the squad haven't always had the opportunity. He's had some. I don't feel we've managed him within the first team exceptionally well. But his performances have been incredibly inconsistent. And I feel we all know we need this guy to work. He has the creative finishing skill set. We're not seeing it enough. We're looking around at Willian. We know he hasn't really got it. Lacazette and Aubameyang have been quite inconsistent this season. He's been inconsistent. That's four major investments, major wages, and they've been inconsistent all season. And we're relying on a 19 and 20-year-old and a 23-year-old left-back. I mean, that's what we're relying on, and we're hoping that party will come in. And these guys have to produce, or we get last night, we get Palace. And, you know, so when you look at a team... You look at your money, where your money is, and it's in those four guys, and it's in the guy that's about to go on a free transfer to Turkey. Yeah. That's a lot of dough, that's a lot of spend, that's a lot of inefficiency, that's a lot of redundancy, a lot of lack of quality. I mean, and it's a real concern, it's a real concern. And, and Pepe suffers for that as well, and I don't think it's all down to the club, it's him, it's down to him, what he produces, how he prepares. Improving his game intelligence a little bit more, knowing when to pop it, knowing when to hold it. Saka does that quite simply. He needs to do it. He can do it. It's a very simple thing. I'm actually down on Arteta on this game. I have to say it. 
you got to do this, mate. You got you got to coach this guy up. You got to do it. He's got he can knows how to chop a ball out of the sky. He can shoot. You've got to get it out of him. You've got to extract it. That's your job. You've been given a, a super talent. You've got to extract it. And he's not extracting it out of him. He really isn't. He needs to do it. You know, he needs to do it because we need him to do well. Can I just touch on centre midfield quickly, Elliot? On, on centre midfield, yeah, please do, of course. Yeah. I, I do think, Tim, now that brilliantly about Thomas Pye, it's a direction going forward. And I have a liking for that guy at Brighton, Basuma. And I want to explain the reason why. Exactly that. He goes into transitions. He creates those transitions. He stands up tackles and he can drive through people. He can cover fullbacks. Creativity comes in different ways. We, we, it's not just a stroking pass around the corner from a Sabaris, although that was beautiful. It's not just that. It's about the game. The game is almost like warfare, right? It's a duel game. What do you do in those duels? What do you do in those moments? What can you create? What can you read? What can you see? Right? And we need more of those at the base of our team that prepare to, to manage big areas and go and get people. It's very important we go and get people, not stand off because we're not physically able. You know, when we see that broken play, our 31 year old, 250 grand a week forward, doesn't mind a bit of broken play, does he? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't mind that. And, he, and that's when creativity comes. So we have to decide, talk it to Jane offline, and she, talk, we have to decide do we want a shot suppressing centre mid that really goes and gets the game and transitions the game? Or do we want a standoff centre mid that passes around the horseshoe? Mm. Right, and I think this is the transition. And Thomas Party, Tim, nailed it absolutely bang on. That is a step in the right direction, and we need one more like him, and we need some eights he can they can both work with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tim, do you want to add to that? Uh, no, I didn't actually. That I, I, I think. That no, I'm just just giving you the it. option before because I'm we're going to wrap up here, <laughs> and I, I didn't want to shut you out of that before I start to go into my inane uh, final thoughts here. So no, nothing to add. Good. Yeah. So well, then l- let me just say this. It is it is a draw that temporarily halts the momentum. I'm less concerned about the result being a draw, Tim, than I am with the with the um, the manner of it in terms of just the attacking play looking a lot like how it has looked over the last season, rather than how it looked against West Brom and marginally for parts of the Brighton game, not many, not many parts. Um, this continues to be an issue, and it's one that we have to address. But it leaves us in the position where I just have to ask you. What do you think is left from the the Premier League season? You know, I, I mean, as you look at it, you know, I read an interesting point uh, the other day saying that if you look at the number of games that have been played, you have to think of this more like mid to early December rather than mid January in terms of where we are in the season. But the number of teams we'd have to jump over, the number of points we'd have to accrue, the pace we'd have to be on. Do you do you think Europa League is is really gone? And and does that maybe afford an opportunity for Arteta to set up the rest of his season to really prioritize? not just the FA Cup, but obviously the returning Europa League um, knockout rounds as, as his priority. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with, um, you know, the the idea that, yeah, we're, like, we're not actually halfway through the season yet. It's because the season started late. Um, I, I don't think the top, like, do I think the top six is likely? I wouldn't bet money on it, but it's not gone. Um, we would have gone level on points with Chelsea, I think, if we'd won. Um, against Palace and nobody thinks that Chelsea are out of the Europa League race obviously they have better players but you know what I mean like mm. it's it like sixth is that like maybe top four is again not entirely off the table but 
very unlikely. Whereas I think top six is 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 much much more up for grabs. There are very few consistent teams in this league, and even um, even someone like United, you know, I'm I'm looking at at the moment, and I just think you're not playing well. Um, this is going to come back to bite you. You're going to have three or four games where you don't win. Mm. Um, and and it kind of happened to Liverpool. It, it happened to Spurs as well. Like, I don't see, certainly not enough teams. There, there aren't a lot of teams like that I look at at the moment and think, God, they're so much better <laughs> than us. Like, even even though I know Liverpool are, they haven't been playing like it on a consistent basis. Like, Man City are hitting that level now where I think, yeah, we, we couldn't play like that on our best day. You know, there, there aren't many other teams that I look at. Like, if you tried to predict the top six this season now, it would be really difficult. You'd get three of those teams, but, like, fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth like who the hell is going to finish in those positions like i've got no idea at the moment it's quite a congested table it's a weird season so i i do not think that's gone like obviously as the season goes on you can take a view on that um you know maybe in the next few weeks maybe uh, you know see what happens in the benfica games and if we're still in after the benfica games we'll have a clearer idea of that in the league but i i don't really like the idea of prioritizing like that i think it's much better um when you've got a rhythm going and you're you're chasing on a on a few fronts i i just i don't think it really works when you're playing like a reserve team on a Sunday and then putting a full team out on a Thursday. Like I, I, I never really like that. Um, I think it just makes things a bit too disjointed and I just, yeah, I don't, I think the teams that tend to like really succeed in um, certainly in cup competitions as well, or European competitions, quite a lot of them are teams who are just like motoring along and on a run and in a rhythm. And I think you take yourself out of that when you start prioritizing, but sometimes you get to a stage where you, you, kind of have to or or those are the cards that you're dealt but i think um avoid that as long as possible and i don't think we're near that point yet i think the big issue is just in order to be a europa league team via the league uh we we have to jump over all of west ham chelsea villa southampton tottenham um do i think we'll jump over west ham probably southampton and villa less clear but you know I mean, maybe Tottenham and Chelsea also. Again, none of this is impossible. And I should mention that Villa have, have two games in hand and all the teams I've mentioned have one game in hand. Um, so I, again, I'm not trying to be fatalistic here. I just think there's going to come a point, right, where Benfica rolls around onto the schedule and you're, you're playing a midweek game on a Thursday and you've got a weekend league game and he's going to have to decide, or at least you'd hope mm-hmm. he'd have to decide which one to prioritize. Now, I, I guess my argument is you could make the argument that it's set up for him to have no compunction about just going straight to prioritizing the yeah. the the cup cup tie. Yeah, and it and it look it's still over a month away. Um yep. so things might be clearer then. If we go on a big losing run then, uh well if we go on a big losing run then before then we'll probably be in a relegation battle. But you know what I mean? If we if we're still eleventh on February the twenty third when we play Benfica and you know the the table started to separate out a bit and we're not just eleventh but I don't know, ten points off of sixth, then then yeah, I think you can maybe start to I still think doing it that early in the season would have problems. I think maybe if you do it in like April 
or so it's maybe less of a problem than doing it in february but um yeah i think we can take a view on that further down the line mm-hmm. yeah clive do you have any any final thoughts on that about how we should how we should go with that yeah my, my personal opinion is i don't care about europe next year unless we win the europa league I think this is a period where we need to trim the squad and rebuild the squad, give the manager time to coach the squad. I'm just not interested. I don't think we need to play youngsters in Europa League anymore because I think that that's served its purpose. If we win Europa League, great. Back in the Champions League, we go again, right? But I think it's every year to be out of Europe, this will be the one to solidify our new playing identity with the loads of science we're going to get in the summer, but also getting some of the idiots off the wage bill, right? We need to do that to create a new fiscal structure, a new playing structure. And I think that's really important. And you rebuild your identity on the football pitch by having a good league season because we've lost us we've lost a bit of our name being Europa League for this long mm. so we need to really focus on the league next year so we can become get closer to Champions League paces and be more competitive when the world hopefully gets back to normal in the autumn a bit more normalized we can go and watch football I think it's going to be very important that we are successful from a week-to-week basis rather than being a cup team which we've turned into over the last few years so I'm not worried for it this year but I think this gives us a perfect time not to be in Europe but obviously I'll take Europa League win because that, that gives us a, a two year jump on the overall plan yeah yeah and and by the way I'm not saying I want us to be a cup team I'm just saying given the, the positioning in the league it, it'll be interesting to see how he prioritizes I mean Benfica you don't get many harder draws at that stage of that competition so he's, he's not going to be able to just take that lightly, I don't think. But let's leave it there. I think that's a, a good stopping point. We have Newcastle on Monday. We'll have plenty of stuff coming. If you're interested uh, in seeing a player we won't sign because we did a scouting video of him, you can watch the scouting video we did of uh, Emmy Buendia on the Patreon. That was really good. And um, we then also talked about Rob Holding's new deal as well as just some squad building stuff in there. So uh, it's available both as a podcast, but also as a video, and you can watch the Bundia clips and and hear Clive analyze him and then hear me occasionally talk so Clive can take a breath. So uh, that's all there. Um, more Dick Garlic jokes in the future, I, I am sure. Um, but, you know, I haven't thought of any right now. So we'll have to wait for that. Tim's on Twitter. So better. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name is Alex Smith. Bought me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us five star review. Write nasty things about Paul, uh, but don't. He's a tender, gentle soul. He's a little different in his his mindset, and we love that about him. And we miss him. And he will be back, as will Scott, as will so many other people, and so many other things that we will talk about. But not until after we talk to you. After Arsenal ten, Newcastle news.